Hey, welcome to this episode of The Jaded 1%. I am Dave, and joining me once again tonight is... I'm Joe. Hey, Joe. How are you? Uh, Tired, busy, nonstop. Yes. Yes, which is why we're recording late in the evening on a Saturday. (laughs) But, as always, it is fun to be here and look forward to our discussion tonight. So, what do we have on the agenda? So, we named this ministry the Jaded 1% because roughly between the military and police, we make up 1% of the population. So, the question is, what kind of disconnect do we feel to the 99%? Mm-hmm. So, because we are distinctly different. Yeah. So, I guess the, you know, when I look at this, you know, for myself personally, I, I, I think I witness this more in conversations that I overhear and I hear them work out the thought process for whatever it is and it's innocent and it's not, it's not the place that I would go. You know, it's, it's the, the train of th- thought the way I think is just dramatically different because of my time in the military. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, I feel dramatically different. Not maybe not necessarily an outcast sometimes, but just distinctly different. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, you know, I, I don't think that's, that's probably very common in these fields, you know, to, to overhear conversations like that, to, to be asked certain questions and have reactions that are just uniquely and distinctly different from the way other people think, even so far as to go as uh, our sense of humor. Oh yeah. It's way darker. Um, (laughs) then, and then, um, than than everybody else. And I think that, that, you know, it's because of this, this job, these jobs and this, this work, but, it's a, I think it's a good question we need to kind of dive into, mm-hmm. especially that disconnect part, because we're supposed to be serving them, but yet we're so not like them. Right. So that's in part the question for tonight. Yes. So long before I became jaded, I was actually still in the rec- recruit academy. And this was, this was a, um, as as you were reading this topic, um, I hadn't thought about it until we were sitting here, uh, at the table recording, but when I was a rookie, um, we went out to dinner, uh, with some other people, not in law enforcement and me and another, uh, young man sitting at the table, we both had poison ivy and somebody at the table kind of was like, so how did you guys get poison Ivy? You know, it's kind of funny that we're here at dinner and you both are miserable because you have poison Ivy. And, um, the other young man at the table was like, well, I was playing golf and my ball went into the rough. And when I went to retrieve my ball, I got poison Ivy on me. And that's why I sit here at the table covered in blisters. And, uh, so then they looked at me and said, so Dave, how did you get poison ivy? <laughs> and genuinely, I was I was avoiding answering this question because I just was like, I really don't want to get into this. But 
um, as a re- recruit in the police academy, uh, you were often tasked to do the dirty jobs that nobody else wanted to do. And it just so happened that there was a double homicide that occurred. And I got into Poison Ivy because we were doing an area canvas looking for evidence related to the double homicide. And so there was just like this moment of this table where it was just like, like everybody was, you could just tell everybody was like, oh, okay, well. And the other young man sitting at the table was kind of like, yeah, I feel really stupid now. (laughs) (laughs) And it was one of those things where, even as I tell this story, it's really not like, Oh, look at how cool I am. I I worked a double homicide as a rookie, but it just, it was for me, it was one of those first moments of being at a gathering that was social, that was fun, that was lighthearted that, you know, the other guy took some ribbing for getting poison Ivy while going into the rough. And then when they came to me and I gave a sincere answer of what had why I had it, it suddenly became this sort of like, oh, wow. And it, it didn't last very long and we moved on from the conversation, but there was this moment of like, way to be a downer, way to bring, you know, way to bring. And so, um, that actually reminds me of, uh, so when I was dating my wife, one of her friends came over and he was just stopping by for something. I can't remember. They were high school friends and, he came by for a visit and uh, we had been watching TV. So I was kind of lounging on the couch and I had my, my arm up and I had this that's since faded, but I had this pretty long scar that was probably four or five inches long on my forearm on the underside. And he was like, Whoa, that's a really big scar. Where'd you get that? And I said, well, I uh, burned myself on a machine gun barrel. (laughs) And he paused for a moment and he goes, that's the manliest scar I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time it it was funny. He was trying to be funny and I didn't give it any second thought because I mean, that's just part of the job being in the infantry. You know, there's these things that happen to you. But as I reflect back on it, that never happens (laughs) to the 99%. Right. It's never going <laughs> to, they're, they're never going to get a scar like that. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I know all you guys in infantry are wondering how I got that. It's a long story. I'll tell you another time, but <laughs> um, I think there's these little moments like that, that we have that come up, you know, in normal conversations, you don't really think about it. You know, everybody puts their pants on the same way. You, you We all struggle with, for the most part, the same issues. You oh, know? yeah. Um, but in these little bitty moments, like, you know, you were describing, you know, as your time in the recruit Academy and and that conversation between my wife's friend and I, there is something very distinctly different that sets you so far apart that they're never going to be able to identify with that. And I think for myself, as I look back on my time in the service and then now I can't go back to being the 99. Mm-hmm. There's no going back. There's this threshold. Once you pass it, you just can't come back from it. Mm-hmm. Not because you don't want to, but because of exposure, the work, training. I mean, there's all these things that come up. 
But once it's crossed, you are distinctly different for life because there's something about it that they just will never be able to identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a pretty common thing among our group. You know, we, there's this, I don't think I struggle with it, you know, when I sit down and think about it, but I think it comes up every once in a while. And I wonder, man, what would it be like to think that the way they think without knowing what I know? And if that makes sense, did I say that right? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure what you're trying to know. Yeah, I think you did. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's influence that you can't undo. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's part of it. You know, there's this, well, it's not, it's certainly not one thing, but it's experiences that careers outside of this realm don't experience. Mm -hmm. They just, they, they can't, they won't, you know? Yeah. You know, for me, it wasn't, you know, I'm not doing a double homicide. Why do you have poison ivy? Well, because I was doing, you know, a recon in the woods in a training environment and I had to lay there for hours as we did this mission. Yeah. Like I knew I was laying in poison ivy. I knew I was going to get this rash. Right. But it didn't, I didn't have the option of leaving. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I can't just, oh, I, I walked past and I got it. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here for a while. Yeah. And so, but I think this is a good thing to talk about because these moments do arise and I still get it. I've been out of the service for a while, but I still get these moments where I'm just like, I just don't think that way at all. Mm-hmm. And part of me still wonders, I don't understand how they can even think that way. Right. But yet, uh, they still have this innocence because oh, they definitely. because they don't know. There's no exposure to it, you know. Um, which is fine. I'm I'm good with it. But part of me wonders what what is that like? Mm-hmm. It's been so long. Yeah, I don't remember what it's like to not be this way. Right. So, and I guess one of the things that comes up with that is you know how much does that is that a hindrance, mm-hmm. you know, to identifying with, with people, you know, I want to be able to, to talk to a lot of people and, you know, some people, you know, there's a guy at church who, who asks, he goes, what's your, you know, he's been, he's been asking me about some of my military experiences and what's your favorite weapon to shoot and what have you done this? Have you done that? And, you know, he's old enough to be my dad, but there's this curiosity and, and I humor you know, him and answer the questions, but a part of me is like, I just don't care about this the way you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because he's, you know, it's just a different world for him. It's, a, it's almost a four. It's like for them, the 99, it, it's almost a different planet. I think that's a good way of describing it for the 99 looking at the 1% they look at us as if we're from another planet. Not, you, you not think in a, they look at us like we're from another planet. When we talk about experiences, when we talk about things we've been exposed to, the things that we've experienced, um, and definitely the dark humor they don't get, you know, um, it, I think it feels like we're from a different planet. Not in a bad way. We're just not like everyone else. 
Yeah. I, I guess I get, I feel like a little bit like people look at me like, why are you so serious? Why are you so, why do you let that bother you? Why do you yeah. like, that's, I guess that's where I kind of get the, um, you know, cause you really do, you know, you, you, you and I both, we go to, you know, we go to church together mm-hmm. and you go to church on a Sunday morning, kind of like with this, like, is today the day that we're going to have to spring into action and do something. Right. And you know that, the the problem the likelihood of that is not very high right but i don't go to church thinking like i i really do particularly now i, I just at this stage of the game i go to church thinking um i hope it is a peaceful day today and i hope there is no major incident and i hope things go really really well versus what will i get from the sermon and uh yeah, I often wonder if, if today's going to be the day. Yeah. And you're right, the probability, I mean, you, we probably have a better chance of getting hit by lightning. But there's always the wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, constantly looking at people, you know, mm-hmm. scanning. Um, it's hard to turn off. Yeah. I think that's what it is. You know, it's really hard to turn off. You know, I've been out for... Jeez, four years now. I don't know how to turn off. I, I have moments where it's easier than others. But for the most part, I'm always looking at people. What are they, you know, what are they wearing? What are their shoes like? You know, are they printing? You know, if they're carrying a gun, mm-hmm. you know. You know, little things like that where, you know, that's where my brain goes. I mean, I don't choose to go there. It's just automatically where I go. Um, and sometimes I think that's difficult, you know, how do you, how do you relax? Yeah. I mean, really? Nope. Yep. I, there are very few places that I feel completely relaxed. Your house is one of them. My house is one of them. You know, when I'm at certain friends' houses, I'm, mm-hmm. I know I'm fine, you know, that, you know, quote unquote fine, but it it's different when you're out. Yeah. So. And other people don't have those experiences. They don't, they don't wonder what we wonder. No. And, and I think even in that it's, it's when, you know, people do ask you about your experiences. I know for me personally, they don't know how to ask that. Like they're curious and I'm sure that they truly want to know, or I don't know, maybe they are just making small talk, but uh, I find that the questions or the the things that people think they can connect with you on are often the things that, will just absolutely um, cause me to be angry with somebody or frustrated with somebody or annoyed by somebody. And, um, you know, one is I got stopped by an officer and the officer did X and I was only doing Y. And then they'll look at you and go, can you believe they did that? (laughs) And, you know, depending on the person, I may or may not give my true answer, but um, you know, uh, kind of where I've, I've landed is the whole, I know that there's two sides to every story and I'll even tell people that I'm like, I know there's your perspective on this, but the officer has his perspective on it. And I'm guessing if you had the opportunity to sit down and talk with them, he would probably understand why they did what they did. Um, but no, the way you're telling it to me, that does sound unreasonable. 
but I'm guessing that there's more information that you're, well, you know, and then they want to kind of defend themselves. And it's like, no, I, I, you know, you shared with me. I appreciate that. I gave you my perspective. You don't need to defend yourself with me, but, um, and I, and I even think some of that goes on with, you know, the, the, the issue of racial profiling. I, I, I truly believe that people of color believe, um, well, that, that maybe that's not even fair to say. I believe, well, yeah, I, I, I believe they had an experience and I believe that they feel like they were focused on because of being color, a person of color. Um, but I also kind of go, well, were you speeding? Oh yeah. Okay. Well then maybe that's why, you know, and, and again, I, I don't even want to completely go down that road, but. You know, it's funny cause my son, you know, you know, he plays competitive baseball. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the assistant coaches and he's got a couple teammates who've asked me things, you know, and one of them being, have you killed anybody? And I look at him like, why do you want to know that? Mm-hmm. You know, if you get one answer, you think one thing. And if you get another answer, you think something different. Why do you, why do you want to know that? Yep. Um, he goes, I don't know. I'm like, cause it's a horrible thing. Yeah. It Take really, another person's life. I said, it's pretty horrible. I mean, what, I mean, you do it cause you have to, but it doesn't mean it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it, you know, and granted he's 11, he's a little boy. He doesn't quite, I mean, he yeah. doesn't get it, but I think that's very indicative of, I mean, he's at the most innocent level and he's, you know, a, a boy who probably plays video games and so on and so forth. So he's just blatant about his innocence and just, he's just going to ask us. He just wants to know mm-hmm. he's not shy about it, but I don't think his attitude is necessarily uncommon among the 99. No, I, th- I think they want to know certain things about these professions. And in his case, he just asks cause he's 11. But I think to your point, there's a lot of questions that people really want to know. I mean, they, they, I, I, I say this, let me caveat, let me say it this way. They think they want to know because I would venture to say if they were to really find out, they may choose to say, Ooh, I wish I didn't know. Yeah. 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 And you know, and then, so, you know, people always want to ask what, what, what's your most exciting call? What's your most, you know, those kinds of things. And, I've done this long enough that I generally, if, if it's somebody that I want to engage with, I can, I can tell stories, but, um, for me, honestly, I think one of the biggest things has been, and I, I guess for me too, there's also this tension of, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I believe that he is our Lord and savior. He's our hope for eternity and, and to get to go to heaven. and um very much as a part of our lives here and heaven can be experienced here. And, uh, I experience death on a weekly basis. Um, and usually multiple times over the course of a week. And I think one of the things that particularly over the last six months to a year, that's really started to just hit me is these calls that you go on where people just have absolutely no hope. There's just, they are clearly like, their perspective, it's all about this life and they are very distraught over the loss of a loved one. And 
um, it isn't very often um, that I work a death, unattended death usually is why we're there, um, or death in, under suspicious circumstances of, you know, there's not very many times where I go and the family says, well, I, in fact, I can't, I can only think of a couple where the family says, yeah, they, they were a Christian. They knew Jesus. They're in eternity. They're in this better place. And, um, I think that hits me harder than just about anything. It's just this like, man, death, when you have no hope of heaven is really, truly one of the worst things that you can experience in this life. It seems like, um, it's, it's funny. So, you know, my father-in-law is a cop in a, not a big town, but not definitely not a small town. And my childhood best friend is a cop in a very large metropolitan area. Um, not that I want to tell you guys, but I just want to protect their privacy. But, um, you know, my father-in-law, you know, he's being in from a, a smaller department, um, has seen death. Although yeah. it's over a hundred thousand. It is over. Which is kind of the breaking point of, are you a small department or a, a large department? That's, so. that's true. But you know, and so he has seen death and over his, I mean, he's retired now, but over his, you know, 35 years in law enforcement, he's seen quite a bit. The interesting thing is a few years ago, you know, when I asked my best friend this question, you know, um, how many bodies have you seen? I mean, he was still maybe around the 10 year mark. He goes hundreds. Mm-hmm. I said hundreds. He goes, Oh yeah. Hundreds. Yeah. Which like was probably double, triple quadruple what my father-in-law has seen. And I guess it, I mean, and, and I reflected for a moment. I'm like, well, it's a much bigger city. I, it makes sense. Unattended death. There's homicides. There's car accidents. There's all kinds of things. And looking back on it, though, as, as I, you know, listen, you know, listening to you talk about dealing with death on a regular basis. He said it so casually. It's like it's part of the, it's almost I mean, and it really is. It's part of the job. And it's such a foreign concept for everybody outside of that to deal with death like that. You're just, they're like, oh my gosh, hundreds. Now I was surprised hundreds because of quantity, not that he's not dealing with death. That seems pretty, you know, normal to me, but it's just part of the job. Mm-hmm. That's what you, that's what you do. And after over time, you're just like, yep, another death. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, it really is. I mean, so I guess two days ago, it was kind of, I was dealing with one of those of, you know, he's on the couch, 60 years old. His brother is in a chair in the same room looking at him while we're talking to the brother. and niece is out on the front porch with her infant child making phone calls and crying. And, uh, it, it it is just, I don't know. It it is truly, I, I, I guess I had a similar situation in, um, 
uh, about my 10 year mark. Uh, I was, I was uh, assigned to our training unit. So a recruit Academy. And somebody asked me a similar question of how many dead bodies have you seen? And I didn't say hundreds, but I said easily over 100. And one of the rookies was like, I, I find that hard to believe. I don't think in Lawrence, Kansas, you have seen a hundred dead bodies. <laughs> and I said, well, I, you know, um, let's see what, what year would that have been? Well, anyway, it, it, it was at least 10 years. Um, no, it was less than 10 years because I had not been promoted yet. So it was less than 10 years, but I said, I'm sure it's a hundred. And so I started just making a list. And when I got to 110, because I, I mean, truly it was one of those things at that particular point, I don't know if I could do this now, but at that particular point, I could remember just about every dead body I had seen. And so I'd seen 110. Um, out of that 110, uh, less than 10 were actual homicides, but still close to close to double digits on homicides. and. I think they were shocked that I had seen that many dead bodies over. And one of the things I think is a little bit unique. And I still wonder about this. Um, uh, being in a college town, I think we see a lot more suicides. I have nothing to substantiate that whatsoever. Uh, but my, but my hunch is, is that we see more, um, being in a college town than normal. Um, but yeah, even the most mundane situations. And the other thing is, is I guess I, I'll say this. If somebody, if you, if, if you're investigating an unattended death, that person has generally made life choices that has caused them to be in a situation where they die alone. Not always, but most of the time. And if you're dying alone, that is a very depressing place to be. And so um, I think that's about all I'm going to say on that because I don't want to, I don't want to completely dwell on death, but it really is just that. Um, it's a reality that sets you apart from the 99. Mm -hmm. But I would, but see, I, one of the things I would even say that separated me from others was I was a pastor um, prior to being in law enforcement. And so I was present um, for a handful of deaths in a hospital. And I, don't know, I said I was going to be done. Uh, there is a, what they, there is a breathing pattern that you begin to recognize when somebody is about to die. And I learned that as a pastor prior to becoming in law enforcement and remember even being on calls in this job of going that they're in the last hours of life and people will be like, well, how do you know? And it's like, I've heard this before. That breathing is indicative of last breaths. And so that's interesting too. Um, and then, the other piece I'll, I'll say here real quick is uh, making death notifications. 
that's even the other part of it is, um, and we've here recently had a number of people in their late twenties who have died out of state, like somebody literally like hiking up in the um, Pacific Northwest and died while hiking on a vacation. And we had to go tell mom and dad, you know, daughter's gone. She died while hiking. She had a hiking accident and fell. And those are just things that it's just like, you never, ever, you never, ever get used to that. So the realities of the job. Yeah. And, and I can't, you know, that's military. I, you know, I can't imagine watching my, you know, my fellow soldiers being killed in combat and expecting to, to continue to perform, uh, in that, um, band of brothers is always one of those for me of just like, I don't know how I would function in that situation either. I think, you know, in stressful situations you push through, you know, you're, you're not thinking about that at the moment. There's cause the reality is there's work to be done still in the, in the moment at least. I mean, I mean, there is, there's mourning. It just comes later. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just, you know, how do you function? Well, you st- there's still work going on, but so I guess that kind of, I don't know if it's, it's, well, it's probably not a good transition, but we're going to do it anyway. So I guess the next part of this question is where and how do we feel like we don't belong? And I'm not talking, maybe not distinctly with those things, but I, you know, I, I, the big ones are very obvious, you know, no one gets to shoot machine guns normally. No one does death notifications normally. No one's going to, a, you know, to, to go look at a, you know, body. It's that, you know, you know, but what about the other things that make us feel like we don't belong? Maybe the little things that. I guess kind of going back to the first part is those little conversations, the little moments where you're like, eh, I just, I don't think that way or I don't react that way or that's not how I would handle that situation. Um, they look for a good time. I look for threat. <laughs> um, you know, for me personally, one of the places that I've chosen not to and I'm not saying this is right, but this is where I'm at is, is the whole language thing. I just, I cuss, I don't care. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. I don't think it <laughs> makes me a bad person. I don't think it makes me a bad Christian. No. Um, I think when it comes to holiness and, and things like that, uh, there's something much deeper than just, do I use four letter words? Um, uh, I suppose there's people that would argue that I'm justifying my behavior, but for me, when it comes down to it, I'm like, I really don't think God cares. <laughs> I really don't. Now the whole taking his name in vain, I, I still, I think there's a, a, I, I respect God and I honor him. And I think to use his name as a curse word is not something we should do, but the other ones I'm sort of like, 
I, I, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I don't. You're going to get upset with me about <laughs> dropping the F-bomb or something, but it's quite okay for me to go slander and, right. and, <laughs> sp and spread rumors about somebody. That somehow that's okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think we need to spend any time on that. I don't think most people in this profession are like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, it, it, you know, if I wanted to speak on it for just a brief moment, I would say that it, I think that is, at least for myself, I look at that as there are deep rooted emotions that we feel. And sometimes the best way for them to come out is through a four letter word. And I'm not going to be apologetic about it. I am sorry. There's just, there are too many other things that I can concern myself with versus being prim and proper and you know if somebody else is is in a moment when when they feel like the best expression that they can you know to show others or, or you know or, or experience at the moment is to use a four-letter word who am i to keep them from that i mean i, I want people to be themselves and if that's who they are in the moment because their experience is someone or or something hit them strongly or they're very passionate about it. I'm going to go with it yep. because I've been there too. So I, you know, I think this, the, the other place for me where it's just having compassion for people in what to me just seems like really petty things. Compassion or sympathy or empathy. Um, Cause I think compassion's distinctly different than those two. I would say compassion is something that you choose to enter into, whereas sympathy and empathy are things that you might feel. I, I guess I'm not good at any of the three. Um, <laughs> That's not true. Well, no. And so, you know, my wife is, is a nurse and I think nurses experience a lot of what first responders do. Oh, my mom's a nurse. I know how, exactly how she can act, you know? And so, you know, if you're getting mercy and, and compassion from us, my wife and I, you probably really deserve it. You're probably <laughs> in a pretty bad place. Um, I just, yeah. So, so that's one of the places I think, at least for me, it kind of manifests. I feel different from other people because I, there's just times where I hear people sob story where I'm just like, really, that's the best you got. Uh, and so, yeah, but I'd, I'd probably agree with you quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, yes, you have it so bad. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, it's, I don't know. Perspective goes a long way when you're talking about the struggles in life yep. or how hard you think your job is <laughs> or how hard you think life is. Yeah. Or. Or, oh, this is really cool when maybe it's not, you know. I remember a few years ago, some friends said, hey, we're going to go to this gun range and we're going to shoot machine guns. Do you want to go? And I just flat out said no. <laughs> They're like, why not? I thought you were in the military. You like to shoot. Because my time in the military, when I shot machine guns, for me, it's not. It, sure, at the beginning of the career, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You go a few years and you're just like, it's just a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Not interested. 
I'm not. After hundreds of thousands of rounds, shooting a machine gun isn't the same fun that it used to be. It's just not. I'm sorry. I hope you guys have a good time. See you later. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty normal. You know what you and your wife experienced? Probably pretty normal. You're like, eh, not interested. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, I think that's probably, there's probably a consensus about, (laughs) about that across the board. As far as feeling compassion and sympathy and empathy. I mean, you do these jobs long enough. It's really hard to, because a lot of times you're just, you're looking at this going, if you had just chosen something slightly different, the result would have been dramatically different. And it's really hard for me to go, or really hard for me to feel sorry for you when you could have chosen something completely different. It just is. Sorry. I don't want to be mean, rude, and, and ugly about it, but I look at my own life and I made mistakes. I have. Most of them are because I did it. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I even find that myself in my situation of, I'm not, I don't want to criticize somebody for something they do. Cause I'm like, I get it. I could probably have made that same. So while maybe I don't give you the empathy or the sympathy or whatever, at the same time, I'm sort of like, I look at specifically, we'll hear younger officers criticize something that somebody did. And I'm just like, ah, if you only realized how close you are to doing the same thing. I've had that conversation with my, with my best friend before. It's it, a very similar conversation where, you know, you're talking about somebody, you know, especially if they're in a very desperate situation, who's to say that we would act any differently? Because mm-hmm. sometimes in those situations, we don't understand what that kind of desperation feels like. Yeah. So who are we to say, yeah. oh, I don't understand that. Well, yeah, you've never struggled like that before. You've never hurt like that before. You've never, yeah, you know, been in life like that before. Yeah. But even just just a, a, an action that you may take as an officer where we all sit around and watch the in-car video and critique, why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? And it's like, you know, I. it's easy to say you wouldn't do that, but in the moment. Yeah. Who's to say you wouldn't do the same Who's thing? Who's to say you wouldn't? So. so, what are the things outside our circle that do make us feel connected to the 99? You know, we've talked about the disconnect, you know, but what about the things that do connect us? And I'm not talking about the, I don't know, maybe it is those moments of, extraordinary generosity where you're just like that, that can connect us. But what about, what, what about that? Those things outside of our own group, you know, what are those things that make us feel connected to the 99 that are, because that we are distinctly different, but I think everybody wants a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think for me, it's that whole, I don't really want to talk about the job with you. You know, if you're not doing this, I really don't have any interest in hearing about your interaction with the cop on the traffic stop. I don't want you asking me about 
Are you thinking about somebody that we both know? Or no. Know? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't want you asking me about the coolest or, but if you talk to me about, um, you know, your kids and your family, mm-hmm. I think that's one of those places where I will quickly connect with somebody. Um, I, you know, I have a desire to connect with people who, um, are, are, um, sincere in their faith, you know, trying to figure out this whole, uh, time here on this planet. Uh, what is the significance of why we're here and how does that relate to what Jesus did? And, and, um, so I can, those are the things that, um, so where do I find connection? It is outside the job. It is outside what I do. Um, if you don't do what I do or you're not, you, you don't have some sort of experience with it, you know? So that's, that's probably fair. That's, that's probably a pretty accurate assessment. I'm trying to reflect on my own career in the military. That's probably, it's finding the common denominator, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, children, extracurricular activities, you know, you know, barbecues, beer, 4th of July. Um, yeah. I don't want to hear things. about your second cousin that's in the FBI <laughs> or your uncle that was a cop in, you know, some small town. In or Illinois how you tried or... it one time, but weren't able to make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, I guess it's just when it comes to the job, I don't need that connection. It's probably for me, it's going to be on some other level. Yeah. So that's, and, and, and ultimately, yeah, the, the faith piece is probably the, the biggest thing. And, and even for that matter, um, you know, I, I know every profession has the, its unique struggles. Oh yeah, for sure. That it deals with. And so, you know, um, what's it like to be a teacher and to try to be a Christian uh, in this, in the classroom and in schools and, um, well, if I was a teacher in the schools, I'm sure the police would be coming cause I'd probably murder a kid. <laughs> oh, I know, <laughs> you know, or just, um, you know, hearing just sort of the, um, you know, sometimes the mundane, uh, can be worse than dealing with the stresses of life or death situations. and you know, that struggle of I'm stuck in a cubicle and I'm a Christian and I want to be salt and light in my office, but how do you be salt and life <laughs> when we're all staring at a computer, computer screen for hours on end and entering data? And so that's, I guess for me, it's the, I don't need the connection on that level. I need the connection of maybe the more human level, mm-hmm. yeah. the humanity side of things, not the professional side of things. Yeah, that's probably true. Maybe that's maybe that's the common denominator for all of us is that none of us, you know, all have the same jobs before or after, you know, military law enforcement. But the common denominator is that we're all human. There's all this. There's always going to be this human element where we we long for this kind of connection that is beyond just the job. You know that we can share. You know, 
being a father or a mother or, or, you know, you know, financial stress finds, can find anybody, you know, cars breaking down can find anybody, you know, um, um, whatever it may be apart from the profession is probably where I find it the most, you know, especially right now, at least at this time in my life, it's right now, a lot of it is in my faith. You know, it's not, it's not in the everyday, you know, it's, I think I'm feeling, it's funny. I haven't been in, you know, been reading my Bible the way I want to. It's been a struggle, but I've been reflecting a lot about the people in the Bible. And the more I think about them and just, you know, who God chose to be a part of this story that he's telling, you know, about to get to, to get to Jesus. Everybody in the Old Testament, you know, and even, you know, Jesus' disciples in the New Testament, you know, and then Paul and Stephen and, and, you know, um, essentially everybody apart from Jesus, you're talking about very ordinary people. You know, David's called a God after man's own, man's own, or a man after God's own heart, but yet, you know, he was a king. He was a, a shepherd at one time. He played the harp, but he's an adulterating murderer. You know, there's this element that brings him back like, oh, and the icon is brought back to ground level. You know, his son Solomon, the wisest man on, on the planet that we know of, and, and some say the most wealthiest person that's ever lived. And his downfall was women. You know, 700 wives, 300 concubines. You know, there's these very human elements to all these people that, that God chose to work through in spite of their faults. Um, maybe that's where I feel the most connected. It's, it's not, maybe it's not in my, my job or the profession that I, I used to have, but in, in my faults, mm-hmm. I'm not really any different than anybody. Yeah. I'm, the mistakes I've made, I've made are the same ones that people have made a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. From ago. Oh, yeah. The same ones. Yep. I'm no different. Maybe that's where I feel connection is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel my connection in the, in the mistakes I've made and, and how others can identify with, you know, the, the trappings that come along with those mistakes. Yep. You know, I don't know. Just an idea. Yeah. And if you don't feel that, that's okay too. <laughs> Oh no, the Bible is definitely full of flawed individuals. And maybe that's maybe that's where we where we find our humanity, our connection is through redemption. You know, it's just being in the military, being in law enforcement, um you know, it's it's distinctly different from other professions. But no matter who you are, what you do, the job that you've had, you know, or jobs that you've had in the past, you know, you're still a human being. You still need Jesus, and there's this need for redemption. Mm-hmm. So it puts everybody on this equal playing field. You have an ailment; only Jesus can fulfill, you know, fulfill the gap, and only He can fix the problem. And that's the common denominator. 
Oh yeah. So I definitely think that's yep. So place where we can all relate. So So all that to say that the job doesn't matter, it's only Jesus. No, I I I can certainly yes, I can get behind that and agree with that. So oh. all right. I think we're coming to the end. Yeah, I'm running out of things to say. <laughs> well, we appreciate you listening to the podcast for the J to one percent. And um if you've spent this far listening to us and are willing to give us feedback, we would greatly appreciate that. So Well, I would love it. Yes, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Um our website is the jaded one percent dot com where the jaded and percent are all spelled out, but one is represented by the number one, the numeral one. So please check us out at the jaded one percent. There are places there where you can leave a comment and give us feedback. Um, and email us as well. Yeah. So. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, tell us, we'll, uh, we'll open up that can of worms and dig in. Absolutely. So thank you very much for tuning in and spending your time with us. And we look forward to, uh, discussing another topic at another time and hopefully you find it beneficial. So we'll see you then. See you guys. Bye.